Welcome to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with your hosts, Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. Seniors deserve to have a life with respect, dignity, and fulfillment. But as we transition into elderhood, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much-needed answers to your questions. Now, here are Phyllis and Rubina. Hi, welcome to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. I'm Phyllis Amon, your host, and my co-host, Rubina, is still away on vacation this week. I'm thrilled to be here with Dan Cohn, who's a Master of Social Work and Founding Executive Director of Music and Memory, which is a nonprofit organization that promotes the use of personalized music to, the, to improve the lives of the elderly and infirm. The therapeutic outcomes of his work are portrayed in the 2014 Sundance Audio Audience Award-winning documentary, Alive Inside. Music and Memory operates in thousands of long-term care facilities, hospices, home care programs, and hospitals across the United States as well as internationally. He has spent 20 years in technology companies and has served as a consultant trainer for the U.S. Department of Education. Dan currently speaks widely and consults on music and health best practices. Welcome, Dan. I'm so thrilled to have you here today. Yes, thanks for having me, Phyllis. I'm really, really thrilled to have you here. And um, how about telling the listeners a little bit about how Alive Inside came about? Because it's a great story. Yes. So I'm uh, listening to the radio one day, in fact, and a journalist is talking about how um, everybody has their iPods. This was in 2006. And I thought, well, young people have them, mostly many adults, but older people or people in a nursing home or in some sort of healthcare um, living situation didn't seem like a true statement. And so I Googled iPods and nursing homes, and in the United States, where there are 16,000 nursing homes, I couldn't find one that was giving people their own music. Uh, So I called up a local uh, nursing home, and I said, can I come in? I know you already have plenty of music and activities and karaoke and group singing, but can we see if there's any added value if we were to totally customize uh, each person's playlist? Um, And they said, sure, come in. I came in with my laptop and a few iPods, and it was just an instant hit. Um, People responded immediately to having their own music, to being reconnected. Um, And so I went on to do this uh, with more and more people, and and the responses were so um, pleasantly surprising to me. I thought, well, I'd love to get this on film. Uh, And so I brought in a a filmmaker just for an afternoon. Can you please film this? Because nobody would believe me about these great impacts stories I was telling because everybody says, oh, Dan, how nice you're bringing the old people music. I know I said, no, no, <laughs> this is much sort of bigger than that. It's sort of really because we all are our own experts on music. We all can remember our favorite music for our whole lives. And if somebody tells us something different about what music is capable of doing, um, it's hard for us to believe. And so I had to sort of people from the state of Missouri show me um, put it on film, and we did, and, and that was an amazing uh, segment of a nursing home resident who comes alive with the music, and it's um, come to become the uh, most viewed uh, video on anything related to Alzheimer's disease or dementia globally at 62 million views, um, and from that, wow. I had other stories, and then the filmmaker followed me around, and then he said, we really need to make this into a, a documentary, um, and so that's how we got to the film Alive Inside. 
I have to say, when I saw the film a couple of years ago, I just, it brought tears to my eyes. And as someone who um, studied music for many years, 12 and a half years, actually, I studied classical piano, music is uh, like part of me. And um, for many years, I worked with people who were not so responsive, and I would tell families, why don't you put on their favorite music? Just intuitively, it just seemed like the thing to do because it connected me with, I'm so connected to music. So when I saw this film, people really do come alive inside. You want to describe um, how they become alive from inside? Well, so people who have... um advanced dementia. So in the United States, there are more than 5 million people with some form of dementia. Um, 40% of those have more advanced forms of the disease where they're not responsive, they might not recognize their own family members, they can no longer uh, communicate and articulate uh, their needs. Um, And so they're kind of left alone very often, not just in a nursing home, perhaps, or assisted living memory care, but at home. Um, And people don't know what to do with them um, to engage them because they don't can't respond, they can't remember things, but they do remember their music from their youth very often. And then they come alive, that helps them remember who they are, uh, they awaken, uh, they may communicate more, they may be more social, they may start articulating and talking more to people around them, um, helps calm them down from these states of agitation, distress sometimes people get when they're frustrated and their uh, difficulty in expressing their own wants and needs. So it just has a lot of positive benefits, even to the point where many people who are on these um, sort of uh, antipsychotic medications, which help doctors may prescribe as in a desperate attempt to calm people down, but once they have their music, they often don't need these sort of uh, non these drug uh, interventions that have to do with behavior change, uh, because they're in a better mood, they feel good, they're having a better time of it. Uh, I can attest to the fact that Despite that I haven't been in any buildings that have incorporated Alive Inside into their programming, or Music and Memory, I should say, because the the program is actually called Music and Memory, uh, while I haven't experienced that, I'm sure most people can attest to the fact that when facilities, whether it's nursing homes or assisted livings, have entertainment come in on a once a week basis or a few times a month, whenever it is, that you can see people who weren't so responsive bopping their head back and forth or tapping their foot, snapping their fingers, that people respond to music. You could see a smile on their face. They're more engaged. And I was going to ask you that as people are more engaged, those people who care for them, doesn't it have an effect on them to be more engaged with the the resident or their family member or whomever it is that's listening to the music and responding? The positive feeling is contagious. Uh, when somebody's having a great time and, they, and that's unusual for them, um, then the other residents in assisted living or long-term care um, become sort of uh, lighten up as well. And the staff around them um, um, enjoy seeing the people they are working with feel better and families. You know, it's a win all the way around. Um, and so it, it is um, 
it's, it's a staff morale booster. Um, it's really a morale booster for everybody when there's music. And, and the beauty of live music, uh, which is, you know, interactive um, and personal, is, is wonderful. Um, and, uh, you know, we want to see as much of that as possible, but it's short-lived, right? If, if there's uh, entertainment right. at one point in the day or one point in the week, uh, and then, but the week is long and the weekends are long. And so that's why this added... Um, tool we have to connect people with their own music anytime, day or night, seven days a week. Why don't we amplify that and leverage this tool so we don't have to wait? Uh, I remember once uh, talking to a uh, high school uh, um, um, band or a small group of the band came into a assisted living facility at holiday time and, and they gave a wonderful performance to the residents and afterwards the uh, faculty, the music chair uh, who was with the group, recognized one of the residents and said, well, how'd you like the performance? She said, it was wonderful. I wait all year for this. Oh, my so, goodness. <laughs> so, you know, okay, wonderful performance, but it's a long time to wait. So <laughs> you know, maybe next time they can record that performance if, with all permissions, and then she can listen and then look forward to them coming and, and benefit 365 days a year from that particular performance. So there are many things that there are opportunities here to build on what we know works. So my question to you is then, it's not just a question of um, of coming up with a playlist that somebody enjoys. I'm sure there's some um, therapeutic interventions or ways of going about this. It's not just people listening to music all the time. Correct? So, well, so absolutely. So the, the idea is with personal music is to, yes, number one, create that playlist, find out what songs hold meaning for someone, uh, what are their favorite songs, not just, oh, they're 83, which is the average age in a nursing home, uh, give them big band. You know, but a lot of people might not like big band, or for any of us, if I were to say to any of your listeners, uh, well, pick out your favorite genre of music, and then think of your top five favorite groups or musicians within that genre and then say to someone at home or at work, this is my favorite genre of music. I want you to guess my top five favorite groups or musicians. Um, And uh, they're not going to be able to guess all five typically or four or three, and they may get one or two. Um, And so the the beauty of this is taking the time to really learn what someone loves and and giving it to them and to maybe schedule it during the week. It might be, uh, you know, once or twice a day, once in the morning when they're sitting quietly or once in the evening to help them calm down. It sort of uh, helps to get people up and help calm them down. You can have different playlists, uh, one with the upbeat, one with the calming music. Um, and it also can be used sort of therapeutically, you know, for people who come into a, a long-term care um, a community and they are highly anxious or they're depressed. And so the question is, well, do they have their music? Um, no, they don't. Well, let's give them their music and see how well that works to reduce anxiety or reduce depression. And then we can, if it really works, maybe we can reduce the um, medications along those lines based on improvement or maybe eliminate some medications. And so there's, there is a lot of tracking and research around this that it does work very often. Um, we just have to try it. Right. So um, when I talked about... Uh, in your bio, I said that you speak internationally. What is the response around around this country and around the globe for music and memory? Well, so this works. This is um, 
it's it's music. So music is a, a universal um, love and benefit um, everywhere. You can't think of any culture or country where you, you know if you're there's there's not music. It's it's common. So yes, I mean in the Netherlands there are probably fifty nursing homes running. You know, um, giving people their own music with, through music and memory programs in the UK, um, in Australia. Hospitals in Australia use it. The nursing homes use it. Um, they use it for people with Huntington's disease or Parkinson's disease or, or people who are depressed and uh, have mental health challenges. Um, and so it's used in, in many ways, and it's used across the country. It's used in Texas in their state-supported living centers as well as 600-plus nursing homes. Um, so it's um, not only for those who are older, but those who may be um, um, institutionalized uh, in communities with uh, various intellectual and developmental disabilities. Um, so um, there's the usage is you know, national and international um, and because it works everywhere in, 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 the same, in the same way. The settings are different. In some countries, they don't have nursing homes, so people are at home. So the, you know, and in the United States, four out of five people with some form of dementia live at home. So the opportunity here is for people at home, families to, uh, as they think of their relatives and friends who are home with some sort of chronic condition or they have dementia, um, and you're wondering, wow, wouldn't this be a great idea? Can't our grandkids take care of this or, or somebody in the family who knows technology make this happen and set them up, and let's just try it. There's nothing to lose. There is no downside to this. Um, there are no contraindications or bad sort of side effects. It's, it's music. Um, so, and the upside is really pretty significant um, in terms of the stories that we get. People who may have not spoken a word uh, for 12 months start to speak or people who had to be hand-fed start picking up the fork and start feeding themselves. Um, there's all sorts of stuff that does happen. I would imagine also that for, let's say, somebody who's at home, and it is difficult sometimes when you have someone at home that has dementia, especially at the more advanced stages, and it's you're not quite sure about if they could be alone or um, should they be alone. You're always concerned about that. I would assume, um, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, that having somebody being able to sit and listen to music and enjoy that time may give a caregiver some freedom to have I'll say peace of mind or a break so that they can go off and do something else you know in the in the home situation and know that the person is engaged and happy and comfortable so you've really hit the nail on the head um so what what we've learned is when people use music at home caregivers are under tremendous stress they may not want to leave the house at all any time during the week because they're concerned for their um spouse or mother or father. Um, and so with the music, it might mean t- for 20 minutes, that person will sit down, they won't move, they'll listen to their music, they'll love the music. And so the carer um, or caregiver can be, you know, make a cup of coffee, go out and put the sprinkler on or go on to the telephone in another room and know they're not going to leave the house, they're not going to get in trouble in the kitchen. Um, or they can also listen together to the music and have that a shared entertainment. Um, so it is caregivers um, report that caregiver stress, which is a huge issue and very um, sort of harmful in a sense. It's not helpful for people that all that stress over time, and that does have serious outcomes, um, is cut in half 
caregiver stress. So there's two different research studies around that. Um, And so, yes, it makes life better better for um, life at home, um, and it uh, uh, gives them something to do that they love together. Um, and that reaches them, the person who may have advanced dementia, um, who is not focused and can't remember and, 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 a little, and maybe not calm. Um, and so one of the number one reasons why people send their uh, family member to some sort of long-term care is because they may get verbally or even physically abusive. Um, and they say, you know, Mom, I told you, I promised you I'd keep you home. Um, but I can't, I'm going to bring you to a very nice place. Um, and so we find with the music, people tend to be much less uh, physical, much uh, uh, this violence goes down to zero, even in sort of um, um, uh, institutions where they have people with a lot of uh, issues around um, aggression. Um, somehow the music just works really well. And at home, it's the same thing. People can stay home longer, family members, um, is what we've found when they have their own music regularly available. But it's mm, got to be their favorite music. It can't just be music in the background. It can't be, you know, just any, any old music that seems like from um, the 40s or the 50s. It's got to be their well, music. I, I, that's a very good point because in many facilities that you go into, there, there is, um, it, it is a dignity issue actually to play music that people are comfortable with or that they can relate to. And oftentimes you see people playing music that they want to hear and many of those people are much younger and the people really can relate to that in any way. So in that way, it isn't really that helpful. But we're going to take a short break here, and uh, when we return, Dan, you and I will continue the discussion about music and memory and how it touches us and um, the research, actually, that uh, that validates that fact. So um, stay tuned, and uh, we'll be coming back to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy in a few moments. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Phyllis Amen, the voice for elder care advocacy, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones in short-term rehab, long-term care, or memory care. Her unique knowledge comes from working in over 40 skilled nursing facilities. Phyllis's passion for quality care and quality of life for our loved ones sets her apart. She encourages families to plan by choice, not by crisis. Visit phyllisheldercare.info for a consultation. Phyllis is also a speaker for both the public and private sector on various issues related to caregiving, communication, empathy, and aging. Rabina Chantry is president and founder of Mars Services, an engineering management consulting firm, as well as founder and president of Olive Community Services, a 501c3, which provides culturally appropriate supportive services to seniors, their families, and the community. Rabina's passion for the elder population stems from her experience as an only child living over 1,000 miles away from her aging parents, who are now 91 years of age. She understands the delicate issues and decisions caregivers face. Visit olivecs.org to get further information about Olive's programs and services. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. 
Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with Phyllis Amon and Robina Chaudhry. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email your hosts from the Voices for Elder Care Advocacy show page on Voice America. Now, back to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Hi, welcome back. I'm here with Dan Cohn, and we're talking about music and memory. Uh, So, Dan, as I said before we went to break, that maybe it would be a good idea to talk about some of the research uh, with music and memory and how it touches people, what part of the brain, and why that is. you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. So, Neuroscientists are learning an awful lot about the brain and music, um, and uh, still at its core, it's a bit of a mystery. Um, you know, music as a concept, as a condition, as a thing, precedes language, they tell us, right? So it's that old uh, and that sort of core. And in our brains, brain activity, when we're talking about our vision or our sense of smell, um, only a small part of the brain, very small part, lights up. But when we listen to music, um, a number of parts of the brain light up. Uh, it lights up more parts of the brain than any other sense. Um, and so with people with advanced dementia, um, there are parts of the brain that are still there and, and in shape, in, in, um, uh, sort of uh, not deteriorated as other parts of the brain. And so music has the ability to still be received and um, processed, um, even though language uh, might not or short-term memory might not. Um, and so that's the big win. We're taking advantage of that. And the research around this, um, well, specific to personal music. Um, so Brown University, for instance, did a study comparing 98 nursing homes where people were getting their own favorite music against compared to 98 nursing homes in a control group that were not. And they found that the uh, it's statistically significant reductions in antipsychotic medications. People didn't need them as much. And in behavioral uh, sort of manifestations of the disease, just really reduced. Um, the city of New York, all New York City hospitals run, all 11 hospitals run music in memory. They did their own research on 100 people who have advanced dementia. Uh, and they found that, yes, the use of these um, uh, medications was reduced, but also the falls, one of the things people have when they get the dementia and they get older in general very often is they fall more and hospital emergency rooms, many of them, that's their, one of their biggest or most frequent visitor are people, older people that have fallen and broken a bone. Um, and so there's, it's really important for us to figure out ways so, to reduce falls and music does that. Somehow it helps people concentrate more um, and focus more on what they're doing uh, and they tend to fall much less. Um, and they also are less likely to get aggravated. That's a third uh, outcome of this uh, study of the New York City Health and Hospitals. Um, the federal government 
uh, is currently doing a large five-year study of, um, of personalized music. Um, again, through Brown University, a larger study from the one they did um, um, four or five years ago. Um, and they're looking at Nursing, uh, nursing homes, about 80 of them over that time, and they're looking, they're really going to do a deep dive into under what conditions does this work best, what time of day, um, how much music, how often given. You know, treating music as sort of music as medicine, and what's the dose that's optimal. Um, so there's um, research around caregivers, um, which I mentioned before. Um, there's uh, research around uh, in hospitals, reducing delirium. Sometimes people go to the hospital and become delirious. Not sometimes. Right. 50 or 60% of the time, um, older people go and it's, uh, it's often undiagnosed. People either get really active, kind of delirious, or they just really get so calm, but they can't remember whatever they knew before is much less. You know, they become disoriented right. very quickly. And music can help that. You touched on something uh, and it brought a vision to my mind. You said that music precedes language and I'm sure that most people can remember a time when they've seen a young child who hears music and is bouncing up and down and they're kind of like dancing and you go, oh, look, they're dancing because it, it touches that part of the brain that just what you said that precedes language. So I, it's, it stimulates, you know, it's your engaged. person. It stimu- yeah, and it gauges you. Yes, yes, and and that's why even with for children with autism and such, um, it's it's engaging. It helps with um, just social communication. It helps with uh, sort of cognitive functioning. Um, so the, the, the it, it, well, we've learned there are many benefits, many specific ways people. Um, um, Listen to music and uh, and do better and enjoy life. I mean, it's really a bottom line. It's really about um, joy uh, and and enjoying your day. Um, you know, people who are older, um, you know, they did a time and motion study in nursing homes and they found that ninety percent of uh, residents' time on average is spent idle. Right. Right. They're waiting for the next meal, waiting for a visitor. I mean, the day is long, and half the people in nursing homes um, never ever ever get a visitor. Um, not, not that they don't have family or friends, but family and friends tend to be sort of reluctant to visit. Um, and so if I'm in a nursing home and I'm waiting for someone to visit and I'm sitting around basically not doing much that I enjoy doing during the day um, and waiting, especially if I'm in that 40% of people with advanced dementia where there's not much they can do with me on the surface of it, um, you know, it's a recipe for decline even if your physical situation is stable. Uh, it's sort of like when people say, oh, you know, kind of take me, I'm done, and, but, but the music um, helps people want to live more. I've seen that um, and, and, and carry on and enjoy that because they're enjoying their day I agree. Uh, A lot of times people don't have visitors also because their family lives a distance away. It is true that people also don't want to visit. Um, There are feelings that go along with that, a variety of feelings. Uh, And and maybe it's just that they feel they're being taken care of, but people also have guilt feelings or they have busy lives, as we all know. And sometimes they just live very far away. And this, this is a great way for people to 
uh, build relationships. I was even thinking the other day when you and I spoke that if somebody goes into a nursing home, a skilled nursing facility, even assisted living, they're amongst strangers for the most part. They're all of a sudden they're in this place with nobody that they know. And how great could it be for somebody to be listening to their own music and maybe even singing along with it and having somebody else who says, oh, I love Frank Sinatra or I love whatever that music is that they're li- listening to. And it creates a bond and a friendship. Um, it's relationship building around music. And so then the person maybe won't feel so alone. They won't feel so isolated. And that's the goal. You know, we've seen studies where um, what happiness is sort of comes about when people have two, three, four, five real relationships, good relationships. Uh, and so if the music can facilitate those kinds of connections you're talking about with the other residents, and, and uh, you know, I was in an assisted living uh, the other day where my, my parents are, and they're playing live music, something just really good, uh, maybe James Taylor song or something, and, and it stopped everybody in the halls. You know, it was really loud. It was great. Uh, and it brought everybody together, and people started talking and singing. They had sort of this instant good time and connection to the music and feeling good themselves and connecting with each other. Um, so there are many ways to leverage the music this way, um, and it is an opportunity to go beyond the group music um, so that people, so everybody gets their own. I remember once my mother was had a heart you know, attached. She was in a nursing home, and she shared a room with someone. It was Christmas Day, and they had entertainment and such. And her roommate, everybody went to it, came back crying. Uh, she says, this is a, my music. I'm a missionary. I spend my life in India, and uh, it makes me feel bad. I want, to, I want my own music from home. So <laughs> I said, well, what music do you like? I'll make it up for you. Um, and so, but everybody's different. Not everybody likes the same core sort of uh, standards, um, and that's the, the challenge. Or I had the gentleman who was, oh, this guy likes country music, but he's from Poland, and so it was really all Polish country music. So it's everybody mm-hmm. literally musicians from Poland, so had to obtain all of their music, uh, and this guy's day was made in the nursing home. Um, so much so that as I come in one day and the wife was, uh, his, his uh, uh, music player was gone, I said, where is it? Oh, his wife took it home. She loved the music so much. I said, no, no, that's for you. Um, so <laughs> That's um, cool. That, that's the kind of impact, yeah. So how do people, um, uh, they use iPod, well, they really aren't iPods so much anymore. What do they use to uh, develop these playlists? Uh, do they use earphones? Can you use any device? Uh, how, do, how do people go about doing that? So there are multiple ways to approach it. So yes, you can go in there and you can have, young people can have their phone and start playing off of Spotify and pick songs. Um, but again, you can't then leave that phone there when you leave. So that's, it's okay when you're there. So we want to come up with ways that, that can be left, that staff can work with it. Um, and so yes, everybody, well, often can find an old uh, iPod used one. Somebody in the family has one. So that's a way to do this. It's kind of without having to buy a new device. Or they can buy an MP3 player um, and, and use that. Um, so, it, it, you know, sometimes Alexa, sometimes it's a combination of things. So I'll say to Alexa, you know, play the top songs of 1964. Uh, and so, you know, that's all I had to do, or I say that to my phone. Um, and so it's, it's a matter of finding what will be the, the, the music that's closest to someone's preferences for the right amount of time. Will they have continuous access? 
right? Uh, it's not that visit on a Sunday of, you know, the kids and the grandkids and they do this. That's great. But w- what's going to happen when they leave? So they have it every day. Uh, and so that's what everybody needs to um, um, make happen somehow um, as, if they want to benefit their family member with that gift, which is really what it is. Well, you just said something that also sparked something in my mind, which is about when the grandkids come or the younger children. Uh, it's an opportunity for generations to connect uh, across music and for a younger generation to see an older person who may not be engaged very much or doing much or verbal, all of a sudden enjoying themselves and bopping their head. And, and children can definitely relate to that. Do you find that this program helps with bridging the gap between generations? So, yes, is the, is the short answer. So we definitely find that uh, it's a great way to, um, um, to learn about, for the generations to connect, um, to, uh, for young people to, uh, when they, young people bring um, or give either their relatives the music, uh, it's a great way to connect, even the process of learning what their favorite music is. Okay, assign the teenager, go to uncle so-and-so and, or aunt and, uh, and sit down with them and learn what music they love, right? What did they listen to when they were young? Uh, did they sing? Were they, do they like musicals? Um, uh, what's their favorite uh, classical artist, if any, or what's their favorite genres? And then narrow that down to their favorite um, 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 songs or artists. Um, and then, you know, sort of uh, related, did they have a a, um, uh, a wedding song, or what, 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 who is singing at the senior prom? And so, you know, sort of questions that elicit, you know, responses that help us figure that out. And that's a wonderful process for connecting the young and old together. Uh, and as the young person makes it up, sits there with the elder, they listen together and talk about what the, what the uh, elder remembers about, you know, as they listen to the music. Oh, this reminds me of, you know, time we snuck into a movie theater, you know, and when I was 14 years old and, you know, in, in the local theater or whatever. Um, and um, so it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful way to do that. We've, we've attempted large-scale um, um, programs also where we want to see many schools and nursing homes working together uh, rather than it be sort of one at a time. And so that's sort of a, a, a goal that would be wonderful to happen. Uh, when you said that about uh, younger people sitting with older people and uh, finding out what songs they loved and uh, stories associated with it, it's actually uh, part of a great legacy project also and um, helping younger people understand about time gone by and eras gone by and what was happening at that time. What, what were the current events that might have been associated with that that triggered that memory? Uh, that could be really um, very valuable, I would say. Absolutely. And what we find also, so I'm thinking of a class at Ball State University in Indiana, and they went in one day, 15 students went in, they set up the elders, uh, and there was one elder, the first one actually they worked with, and they set up this person with her music, and she's just sitting quietly listening to the music, and the kids are all sitting around, and there's not much happening. But the kids didn't realize that around them, the staff all just stopped in their places to watch what was going on. Why? Why? Because this woman was never sitting calmly. 
Hmm. She was always fidgety. She was always talking. She was always doing outbursts. She was sitting calmly listening to music. So that was a huge thing. So the students thought this was the best thing they've ever done. So students often come away with feelings of enhanced confidence. I mean, so it's we've had nursing students, schools of nursing, use this as a great way to introduce uh, future nurses um, and nursing assistants to um, elders. Uh, and just because you're in a school of nursing as a student doesn't mean you know anything about dementia, that you have a lot of familiarity with um, older people. And so this is a, so they gave them the project. You set up the people in the nursing home with uh, their uh, music players. And so it was a wonderful uh, learning experience for the um, nursing students. And then the nursing students, in turn, uh, mentored uh, the high school students that came in. They worked together. So they got leadership. Oh, that's really terrific. That's yeah, that's really really terrific. Uh, how do we go about? I we only have about three minutes left, and I I want people to have an opportunity to find out how to get in touch with you and how to find out about the program. But how do we uh, get this word disseminated so more people um, understand about music and memory and can access it? So, so the web the web address for music and memory is is musicandmemory.org. Um, and uh, if anybody wants to email me, my email is uh, c o h e n one four two at aol dot com. That's terrific. And what about um, if people want to um, learn about this program to use in their home? Um, is there a way for them to do that? Do people work with them one on one, or or how would that how would they go about that in um, in finding out about that in the last minute that we have left? Sure, they can download on the Music and Memory website. There there are some uh, free downloadable documents um, and brochures, whatever uh, PDFs. Uh, one of them is how to set up your family member with their own music, um, and so that would oh. be a great guide. Yeah. Oh, that's really terrific. And um, I'm just trying to think if there's anything else that you want people to know before we um, finish this wonderful discussion about music and memory. Actually, I would encourage people. I believe you can see Alive Inside. I believe you could stream it on Amazon. Is that correct? So, right. Amazon uh, and uh, iTunes um, and YouTube um, Red or something for $1.99. But uh, you can also buy the DVD for anyone who still has a DVD player from Amazon and then streaming on Amazon as well. Well, that's just terrific, and I hope a lot of the listeners will take advantage of that. And thanks again, Dan, for all of your insights and your information, and we're going to take a short break. When I return, I'm going to be talking with Diane DiCepolo about music and movement. Um, which also has a wonderful benefit for for people who have dementia and um, many others. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Phyllis Heyman, the voice for elder care advocacy, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones in short-term rehab, long-term care, or memory care. Her unique knowledge comes from working in over 40 skilled nursing facilities. Phyllis's passion for quality care and quality of life for our loved ones 
sets her apart. She encourages families to plan by choice, not by crisis. Visit phyllisheldercare.info for a consultation. Phyllis is also a speaker for both the public and private sector on various issues related to caregiving, communication, empathy, and aging. Rabina Chaudhry is president and founder of Mars Services, an engineering management consulting firm, as well as founder and president of Olive Community Services, a 501c3, which provides culturally appropriate supportive services to seniors, their families, and the community. Rabina's passion for the elder population stems from her experience as an only child living over 1,000 miles away from her aging parents, who are now 91 years of age. She understands the delicate issues and decisions caregivers face. Visit olivecs.org to get further information about Olive's programs and services. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy with Phyllis Amon and Rubina Chaudhry. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email your hosts from the Voices for Elder Care Advocacy show page on Voice America. Now, back to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Hi, welcome back. I'm here in this segment with Diane DiCepolo, who's owner of Curtain Call, a custom window treatment business. Uh, But Diane began ballroom dancing at the age of 50 and is the co-founder of Roll Call Wheelchair Dance. Diane was inspired by her father, who had a rare spinal cord disease, and discovering for herself the social, physical, and mental benefits of partner dancing, this was the inspiration to help those with varying disabilities. And the disease that slowly took her father's mobility and dignity was being paid forward in a positive way through roll call. The model of the motto of the roll call organization is hand-to-hand, face-to-face, and heart-to-heart. And I believe that says it all. So welcome, Diane. I'm so glad that you're here to talk about roll call and wheelchair dancing and the benefits that dancing has for so many people. Well, thank you, Phyllis, and thank you for having me. It's truly uh, an honor and a pleasure. So um, when did you start dancing? It's, it says that you started at 50, but how? what brought you really to dancing? Well, as a child, I was always very intrigued with the Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers movies. And my father was a singer, as my whole family had a lot of musical background. And I had my grandmother always talked about dancing in Roseland. And she was very arthritic, and just as a child, she didn't walk around, but she played piano. And I always heard stories about her at Roseland. So it intrigued me from a very young age. Now, fast forward... Um, to, you know, now I'm an adult, I'm a mom, I'm, you know, 50 years old. I had always wanted to do this. Um, and my dream was to dance with Fred Astaire, but he had passed away, so I had thought, you know, okay, I have to table that particular dream. But at the time <laughs> that I started, I was at a very low 
part of my life, very stressed part of my life because my parents were both um, failing in different ways. As I, as you mentioned, my father had a rare spinal cord disease and it was truly torture for the family to watch this very vibrant man plummet slowly over the years. Uh, so to de-stress, my kids actually said to me, Mom, you've got to do something. And I just saw an advertisement and I said, you know what? I'm going to try this ballroom dancing. I always wanted it to do it. And what I discovered almost instantly, for reasons I didn't understand nor that I cared, for the hour that I was doing this activity, I did not worry. And this was so empowering because my mind got a rest from all of the things that were constantly racing through my brain. Uh, who was going to be in the emergency room? Was I going to have a good day with my mom? What was going to happen? The fear of running out of finances to care for them. It was so overwhelming that even when I was walking or running or on a treadmill or even in a yoga class, I couldn't let my mind not wander to those negative thoughts. But for some reason, when I was doing these group classes, my mind rested. And I said, wow, this is so great. And I started to use it as a tool for myself to de-stress. Now, fast hmm. forward, um, you know, a little more, more time. My son uh, had a friend who used to play in my backyard, had a quad accident. The machine toppled over him and broke his spine, and he became a quadriplegic. So this was very, very sad for the family, as I had known him since he was a child. And I had, for some reason, I knew that there was wheelchair dancing in Europe. So it got into my mind that I wonder if this is an activity that I could do with him that would have the same effect as it had for me to let him rest over the mental... um, consequences of this accident. And uh, my dance teacher, John, I found out had gotten certified in in wheelchair dance, and I had inquired um, when I saw a wheelchair at the studio, and he told me, you know, that he had taken the class, but nothing came of it. And when I told him my plight, he was kind enough to teach me some of the tips to help this young man. And that was all that how it started. Fast forward a year or so, and John gets a call from a couple um, getting married, and that future husband was in a wheelchair, and they asked him to choreograph their wedding number. Hence, John called me to say, listen, can you help me out? I need someone in the chair to, you know, help me with the choreography, and I had had the experience. And that's all that, that was the, the catalyst or the spark for this big fire to come that developed into roll call wheelchair dance. The couple was affiliated with Helen Hayes Hospital in Havistraw. The future wife was the head of PT for spinal cord injury, and the future husband was the head of recreation. And they Mm. basically said, there is no program in this area. Would you like to start one? And so we did. And that's how Roll Call was born. It really is a phenomenal story. Now, you and I met because I took lessons from John. And um, um, something came to my mind as you said it. I don't know how John would feel about this, but 
um, from my experience, he's the closest thing to Fred Astaire. <laughs> well, it's funny you should say that because mentally I had mentally said I didn't just get my wish because my idea of my dream to dance with Fred Astaire was like a one-time three minutes it was done. And now here I was dancing with the caliber of Fred Astaire every week, which was mind-bending to me. It was truly beyond a wish come true. I I interviewed John on this show uh, several weeks ago. We were talking about vibrant living and uh, continuing to pursue passions and vitality and movement. And uh, what I said to him was that um, one of the proudest moments of my life was when I stepped on a dance floor with John Nimchek, the champion. So, um, yeah, he's kind of like a... uh, Fred Astaire to us, I guess, right? Yes, he is definitely, although he will dispute that. He prefers to be referred to as a Gene Kelly rather than a Fred Astaire. So. Uh, and, I ca- and I could see that, by the way. Yes, you I could, could see, see that. I could, <laughs> I could definitely see that in him. Um, but interestingly enough, um, you said something that made me think about uh, how I responded when I went to um, to take dance lessons and how valuable this could be for so many other people, although we do want to bring it back to people with uh, Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or whatever. But um, many times when I would go to a dance lesson, I all kinds of things, whether it was traffic getting there or you know, the stress of the day or the work or family, but within a few moments, you really are just totally immersed in this and um, focused on it, and everything else just seemed to disappear, fall away. Well, you know what, Phyllis, that was the catalyst to think, if this could help someone like myself, whose problems I thought were just normal, how could this impact someone who was really facing a lot more monumental challenges as someone who had either a spinal cord injury or MS, the uh, dementia, development, uh, brain, um, traumatic brain injury, whatever the disability, it didn't matter what mattered was that there was a tool, because we knew that we couldn't change what they had, but there was a tool to help them cope with what they had in a positive way that wasn't a medication, because there are no side effects to dancing. Right. Um, As we were talking about in my previous two segments with Dan Cohn about music and memory, there were no downsides to this. No. No downsides. Um, just to touch, because it, it came to me to do this when we started Roll Call, we wanted to do some promotional things, and I came up with, and I'm, I'm, I actually has it in front of me because I wanted to paraphrase, paraphrase it correctly. It was a prescription. It's a, it's a magnet for a refrigerator, but it's, it's designed just like a, a prescription that you would find from a doctor with the RX. And in the mm-hmm. RX, it's written dancing. And then it says recommended dosage, unlimited. And then it says possible side effects because most medications have side effects. And here it says increase in self-confidence may inspire others. Improved physical well-being may stimulate happiness, may cause outbreaks of laughter. Unexpected friendships may develop. And then Mm. I have a little uh, asterisk that says overuse, while not dangerous, is definitely habit-forming. 
I love it. Absolutely love it. Now, you said something about, uh, not to interrupt you, but you said something about confidence. And you told me a story, uh, I believe it was yesterday when we spoke, about uh, this woman who has this rare uh, disease. I believe it's a disease. Yes. I'm going to speak about her, but I had thought of another one that was also very empowering. So part of the um, side effect in the positive way of having people come to our classes is how quickly and how fast the change of the self-confidence happened. Because of social media, thankfully, we all we did was teach these group classes, and that was basically it. But because of social media, we found out that the impact that we were having outside of the class was way, way larger than we had ever hoped or dreamed. And one of them was this young lady that I spoke about. She had, she came to us, and she had a very rare, she's like one in like five in the world that has this condition, and... um she saw herself as not attractive, ugly, no confidence whatsoever. No one could touch her because she would break into, um, you know, her, her, her touch sensitive was so dramatic that she shook a lot. And this was a young lady that um, was so low in the confidence area, and now suddenly she was out there allowing herself to dance, to be seen, to be touched, to be more comfortable in her skin. And this was so um, wonderful for us to see because we didn't didn't expect it. I'm going to tell you another story about a young man, and this was very empowering because partner dancing for men especially, you know, they they lose their, their feeling of, you know, how to relate with ladies. And this mm-hmm. young man was out and about, and he met this young lady, and um, she, they struck up a conversation and suddenly, you know, dancing, what do you want, what do you do for, a li-, you know, as a hobby? And she said, well, I like to dance. He says, so do I. And she was obviously surprised because he was in a wheelchair. And so he asked her, he says, what kind of dancing do you like to do? And she said, salsa. And he asked her, do you dance on the one or the two? Now, that is a very sophisticated <laughs> question to ask. Yes, it is. And yes, she it was is. naturally <laughs> extremely shocked because right. you don't associate a person in a chair with having that kind of knowledge. And that Correct. was another benefit to the partner dancing. The confidence, because it gave them uh, an empowerment that was beyond how people viewed them. They didn't see them as a person with a disability. They now had a common knowledge. And it was very empowering to see that now the conversation changed to just something that was very normal and connective. The other part of ballroom dancing that is like no other sport is that there is human touch. There are no activities that I can think of where you are in front of someone basically inches away and having to move cohesively. And for people with disabilities, they are often seen as very, um, you know, like they don't, they're not understood and they're misunderstood of what they can do and what they can't do. And not only does it change the perspective 
of themselves to what they can do versus what they can't, but it also changes how society sees them because now their adjective and how they're labeled is dancer. And that is very empowering as opposed to a person with MS, a person with a spinal cord disease. Now they're they're uh, socially accepted in a very positive way. Diane, how would people um, get in touch with you or with Roll Call? Because we only have like 15 seconds left. Well, uh, we are on a website. You can contact us um, through um, email, and you can find us on Facebook. Um, I should have had roll, all of this information. Call, roll, <laughs> no, that's okay. Roll Call, roll call Dance or Roll Call Wheelchair roll Dance, call correct? Wheelchair Dance is on okay, Facebook, perfect. and we also okay, have a perfect. website. Perfect. And we can well, listen, be contacted. Uh, uh, I way. guess you could come. I guess you could also contact Ninchek's Dance uh, Center. Yes, and uh, absolutely. Them. Yes, and they will well, refer. Well, Diane, thanks so much, and I I hope everyone really uh, understood the value of of dancing and and music and memory and and how empowering this is for not only the person but for those people who care about them. So join us next time on Voices for Elder Care Advocacy on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Okay. Have a great night. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Diane. Thank you for listening this week to Voices for Elder Care Advocacy. Please join your hosts, Phyllis Amon and Robina Chaudhry, again next Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week.